Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another one of our fantastic Bar Cart Foundations episodes where we peer into the depths of one specific topic in the home bartending landscape and try to blow your mind with science and fun bar hacks, leaving you smarter than you were at the beginning of the episode. But before we dive right in here, I've got one very important announcement for you. And that announcement is, it's spring. Now, a lot of us on the East Coast have been experiencing some cold, wet weather lately, but you know what? Soon the sun's going to come out and inspire lots of outdoor get-togethers and festive drinking occasions. So, to help inspire your next warm-weather cocktail creation, we've teamed up with Element Shrub to offer their entire line of excellent apple cider vinegar-based cocktail mixers. Let's go down the list here. We've got the legendary chai pear shrub, which is always a crowd pleaser, great for whiskey drinkers. Then we've got lemon mint, my favorite, which is honeydew jalapeno, blood orange saffron, blueberry rosemary, grapefruit vanilla, pineapple turmeric, cranberry hibiscus, and of course, the newest member of the element shrub family, ginger lime. Head on over to modernbarcart.com, select the shop button in the top navigation menu, and you'll be able to pick up a bottle to try out at your next cookout, graduation party, or summer get-together. I also teamed up with Element Shrub's fearless leader, Charlie Birkinshaw, who was our guest way back in episode 9, to create two super easy batched cocktails that use a full bottle of Element Shrub, some of our embitterment bitters, and one bottle of booze. These are great for parties of all kinds, and the best part is that you can batch them ahead of time, set it and forget it, so that you can just focus on mingling with your guests and having a good time. And with that, I think we should try one of these bad boys out. So let's do that thing where you get to make yourself a drink. This week's featured cocktail is the Element Mule. To make it, you'll need one eight ounce bottle of Element Ginger Lime Shrub, a half to three quarters of an ounce of embitterment aromatic bitters. You can just kind of remove the little plastic dasher cap and measure that out in your cocktail jigger. And one 750 ml or 25 ounce bottle of your favorite vodka. We used McClintock Distilling's Epiphany Vodka. Combine all these ingredients in a large pitcher with ice, and then serve two to three ounces of this drink over ice. Top it up with sparkling water and enjoy the tangy, zesty ginger lime shrub, which is rounded out by the mellow, exotic spices in our aromatic bitters. The recipe makes 12 to 16 servings. And if that delicious cocktail isn't enough to have you running to the site to purchase a bottle, how about this? If you enter the coupon code ELEMENT at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your entire order, not just the shrubs, on modernbarcart.com. That's any order you place, none of that limit one per customer nonsense. And this promotion runs straight through June 30th, 2019. So... Now that you've got your cocktail and your complimentary coupons, let's saddle up and get ready to embark on this episode's journey into an effervescent topic, carbonation. 
This episode actually started at the grocery store. It was the first really warm day of the year, and I was in the market for some tonic water to go with my gin and lime. So I headed over to the organic grocery near me here in Washington, DC, made my way to the water and soda aisle and began weighing my options. And as my eyes wandered over the various bottles adjacent to the tonics and sodas, I had an epiphany. No, not the delicious vodka from McClintock Distilling, a truly radical realization. And it wasn't the good kind. In that moment, I realized I didn't know the difference between seltzer, club soda, and sparkling water. Or if there was even any difference at all. So my friends, that's the topic of this episode. We're going to look at the science, we're going to analyze the flavor, and then I'm going to leave you with a few topics you might want to continue researching on your own. To start, let's look at a curious little molecule called CO2. You know, the thing that trees breathe. And to be honest, CO2 isn't always a popular molecule, right? We constantly hear ecological reports saying that we need to drastically decrease our global CO2 emissions in order to curb global warming. So there's that. But when it comes to beverages, CO2 is the molecule most often responsible for activating your trigeminal nerve with its fizzy, tickly little bubbles. The trigeminal nerve, of course, is the nerve responsible for sensation in the mouth and head. It communicates feelings like spiciness, cooling, and tingling to the brain. And the bubbles in your drink are there because at some point before it got to you, someone dissolved carbon dioxide in your water, producing a compound called H2CO3, aka carbonic acid. So if you've ever noticed that carbonated water tastes a little bit more acidic than normal water, you're right. And that's why. Acid. Now, there's a reason why carbonated beverages go flat when you leave them open, and that's because in order for CO2 to dissolve optimally and stay dissolved in water, the liquid has to be really cold but not frozen, and everything has to be done in a closed system under a great deal of pressure. When you first open your carbonated beverage, the CO2 starts to escape via the bubbles, and as long as your beverage stays reasonably cold and you consume it in a reasonable amount of time, you get the benefit of those nice tingly bubbles to spice things up. One great story about the history of carbonated water is that in 1767, before the United States was a thing, some British dude named Joseph Priestley decided he was going to suspend a bowl of water above a fermenting batch of beer. And if you know how fermentation works, you know that yeast produce two substances when they eat sugar, alcohol and CO2. So when Joseph Priestley came back to his water and tasted it, he found that it was lightly bubbly. And this, of course, was pleasant to him. Then he went about optimizing this process using bellows and various air bladders and he would eventually go on to publish the rapiest-sounding scientific paper ever, entitled Impregnating Water with Fixed Air. Now, I know the burning question for this episode is, what distinguishes seltzer water from sparkling water from club soda? But I think I can explain that most effectively once we identify the other agents that create flavor in water, right? Of course, we all like to think about water as essentially flavorless, but that just ain't the case. The primary culprits that affect water flavor tend to be minerals that are dissolved in that water, either due to the mineral composition of the aquifer 
from which the water is drawn naturally, or, on the other hand, due to human intervention, for better or for worse. Lots of people like to fiddle with the chemical makeup of their water for a desired outcome. Starbucks does it with their coffee, brewers and distillers do it with their booze, and there's even this odd cultural notion that the water in New York City is somehow responsible for the quality of their bagels. I'm still skeptical of that last one, since the water in New York today is radically different than it was when the first bagels were boiled, but I do think it's safe to say that when you drink a glass of water, most of the time you're consuming more than just pure H2O. So, knowing that we like to dissolve stuff in our water to make it taste a certain way, let's talk about the differences between sparkling water, seltzer, and club soda. All you really need to know to be able to distinguish between these three products is A, whether the carbonation is natural or artificial, and B, whether or not any mineral flavoring components are present, either, again, naturally occurring or through human intervention. Let's start with seltzer, which is the simplest product of the bunch. It is A, artificially carbonated using forced CO2, and B, contains no added mineral compounds for flavoring. Plain seltzer is literally just water plus bubbles, which is why so many brands out there choose to use fruit essences to make it more interesting. Club soda is also artificially carbonated, so in that respect, similar to seltzer. But unlike seltzer, it contains the addition of a compound called bicarbonate of soda, which gives it a specific flavor and sets it apart from seltzer and sparkling water. This is why it's really nice to use in your highball cocktails, because the bicarbonate of soda is actually going to make it a little bit more acidic and kind of play off the flavor profile of your scotch or your other whiskey. Finally, we've got sparkling water, often referred to as sparkling mineral water, which is definitely the most magical sounding. And in a perfect world, it is kind of magical because unlike the other two, sparkling water is naturally carbonated and bottled at the source, which is usually some sort of artesian well. As a result of all of these natural processes, sparkling water tends to be less aggressively effervescent than club soda or seltzer, but each different brand is going to have its own signature flavor due to the geologic mineral makeup of the aquifer from which it was taken. Of course, this paints a romantic picture of a water that comes to us with its own inherent qualities completely devoid of human intervention, but the ugly truth is that Especially in most American markets, sparkling water contains some extra carbonation because we like big flavors and lots of bubbles. But that one fact aside, it's pretty easy to tell these three products apart, right? Seltzer is no flavor, human carbonated. Club soda is one predominant flavor, human carbonated. And sparkling water is natural mineral flavor, ideally naturally carbonated, but... Unfortunately, most of the time, especially here in the U.S., they're forcing a little extra in there. We should also, in this conversation, I feel, mention tonic water. And the reason why I'm only going to give it a brief mention here is because I think it deserves its own episode. It's got a rich history, some interesting ingredients and medicinal properties, and it also contains sweeteners, which I think puts it outside of the water plus bubbles category that we're currently playing in. So we're going to put a pin in seltzer and instead jump into a really fun comparative tasting of a few of these beverages 
we've been discussing. Let's go. So first thing to know about this curated sparkling water tasting is that we've got four different types of sparkling water here, four different bottles, I should say. First, we have a can of unflavored Lacroix, or some people know it as Lacroix. That'd be the American pronunciation. I'm half French Canadian, so I have to say it, Lacroix, right? And now on the can, this says sparkling water, but I really think that this is one situation where the folks at Lacroix know that their audience is going to respond better to sparkling water than to seltzer, right? Sparkling water just sounds sexier. I'm pretty sure it's just seltzer. And I don't think here in the United States there's any real penalty for calling something sparkling water versus seltzer. Next up, we've got Q Club Soda, made by you know Q Tonics and Sodas, um, pretty ubiquitous craft brand around the US. If you have a higher end grocery, you'll probably be able to find this Q. So that is gonna be our club soda example. And interestingly, we'll, we'll get to the ingredients in a second, but it does not contain bicarbonate of soda, which I did not realize until I got home. Then we have the Mountain Valley sparkling water, it's sparkling spring water. And then we have another popular brand, Topo Chico sparkling mineral water. So we're gonna kind of walk through here. I'm gonna start with a, a visual analysis. now. I think it's important to note that uh, these are all coming out of the bottle pretty cold. My fridge is currently set at 39 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's relatively cold, only seven degrees away from freezing. And right off the bat, I kind of notice a difference between the way the bubbles are acting in these. In the three that are not club soda, I'm noticing that the bubbles are fairly large and that they're kind of they're, they're not evenly coming to the surface. They're kind of almost releasing from the bottom of the glass and then rising up and kind of popping at the top at the surface. But the club soda, those bubbles tend to be closer to the outside of the glass and they're much, much, much smaller. So there must be something about the composition of the water, and there is, we'll get to that, that causes that. So let's jump into the tasting. First off, the La Croix. Now, now, I'm pretty familiar with La Croix and their product, so I'm not quite sure how much I'm gonna have to offer here. This might just be the blank slate of the tasting, at least for me. So pretty even fizz, and it, I, I will say that the fizz dissipated pretty quickly. It, it popped right from the front of my palate to the back, um, mostly on the tongue, and just kind of went away. It's to me, really, this is a great example of a blank slate of water. And that's why I would call it a seltzer as opposed to anything else, because I'm not getting anything besides just water and a little bit of CO2 here. Maybe a little bit of that acidity in the end from the from the dissolved CO2. It kind of um, comes out more on the finish with this, but overall, pretty, pretty neutral. I will say that it is nice going down. Like sometimes you have that experience with bubbles where the bubbles are really big and aggressive in the back of your throat and it kind of makes it a little bit difficult to swallow. That's not a problem you have with the La Croix. Next up, we've got the Q Club. Now, the ingredient that is not bicarbonate of soda is listed on the label as Himalayan salt, which is interesting to me. Definitely like kind of a crafty, bougie choice there. Appeals to the bougie label readers out there, I suppose. And now let's see how that affects the taste. A much 
much different mouthfeel experience than the LaCroix. It, it it's full. I, I would say it's verging on creamy, but but I, but definitely not creamy. It's it's definitely much smaller bubbles as I described visually to you. And I think overall there's definitely a big difference between club soda and sparkling water. Definitely in the bubbling potential. Now this kind of reminds me of like an old housekeeping trick where if you, you get a stain on a piece of clothing, you know, maybe, maybe throw a little bit of club soda on it. And I think the combination of the additions in there, like the bicarbonate of soda and the bubbles really based on that mouthfeel I just got, I could definitely see that working uh, to help get out a stain, maybe not get all of it out, but certainly help minimize the effects of a stain on clothing. Now, let me take one more quick taste here. Yeah, the bubbles are bubbles are kind of swirling in there. They're much smaller. I'm not getting a really intense flavor on this. I was kind of ex expecting something that had that had a, a bigger, more robust flavor. So maybe if you're if you're out at the store and you, you're looking for a club soda that's going to have that real bold flavor, look for something with a bar bicarbonate of soda instead of something like a uh, Himalayan salt. I do get a little bit of that salinity on the far, far end of the finish, but I also think that that could maybe just be a little ploy to keep you drinking more of it, right? Salt makes you a little thirsty, so I don't know what the uh, marketing geniuses over at Q are, are thinking up for this, but I don't know, just, just an idea. Next up, we've got the Mountain Valley Sparkling Water. Now, I really like the label on this one because they went through a lot of trouble to disguise the fact that it comes from Arkansas. They've got, uh, since 1871, we've bottled it right here in a remote valley in the Washita Mountains, USA. I don't think any of us have heard of the Washita Mountains, uh, <laughs> but then you look at the, uh, the address and it's Arkansas. I think, I think Walmart ruined Arkansas for our cultural consciousness of, of high quality products or, uh, uh, anything kind of crafty, but uh, the Mountain Valley, we'll see uh, how the Washita Mountain water tastes right here. This is maybe the bubbliest of all of them, and the label here definitely says that they add carbonation. So this would be our sparkling water with a definite addition of, of carbonation after it was taken from the source. Definitely looks the bubbliest, but doesn't taste nearly as bubbly as the LaCroix or the Q Club. Now, it has been sitting for longer. Very nice mineral profile on this. It has a little bit less of that acidity, and I, I think it, it may be rounded out by the mineral profile. This, this reminds me of the water that I get out of my tap at home in Western Mass, which comes from an artesian well. So, you know, maybe maybe there's some similarities there, but I really do like this. This is a very pleasant flavor experience. And you know what? Good good for you, Arkansas. The Washita Mountains, USA. Yeah. Not bad. I would I would have that with a meal. And then finally, let's do Topo Chico, which is a product that's been kind of gaining in in popularity in, in some craft circles. Uh, I think it's big down in Texas and the Southwest and California, and it's been recently kind of making a splash here on the East Coast as well. So let's see, this is also a, a sparkling mineral water, so let's see how it tastes. Hmm. 
that I would say has probably the best bubble profile um, aside from aside from the club. If we, if we're just looking at the the um, water plus um, natural flavors as opposed to water with added flavors, I'd say that has the most pleasant and well-rounded bubble profile. It's there. It kind of does that same thing that the La Croix did, where it has this progression over the palate, but it kind of sticks around for, for just long enough to, to remind you that, hey, this is sparkling, but it, again, it's it, it doesn't uh, have any impact on your ability to swallow it, and I would say the flavor is a little bit more on the acidic side, a little closer to the La Croix than the Mountain Valley. I'd put that as the, the most kind of basic and watery tasting of the bunch then the La Croix, and then the Topo Chico. And then, of course, with the addition of that sea salt or the, the Himalayan salt, the uh, Q Club is definitely the most flavorful of the three, even though really what we're talking about here is just water. Overall, wasn't quite sure what was going to happen during this tasting. I definitely learned a lot just by tasting these four side by side. I mean, you, you learn a lot about mouthfeel, right? A lot about that trigeminal nerve. And for me... I think that is a huge part of deciding what product you want to get on the shelves, right? Um, especially if you're thinking about an ideal end application, especially if you have a use case for this, like a highball. So that is my <laughs> silly little side-by-side -side tasting of four different popular and available sparkling or carbonated waters here in the U.S. and. Uh, feel free to check these out on your own. And if you have any other thoughts on maybe some stuff that you have available near you, feel free to drop us a note at podcast at modernbarcart.com. And with that, let's wrap up this Barcart Foundations episode with a few other little tidbits that are adjacent to carbonation in the cocktail world. First up, let's talk about carbonation via fermentation i.e. how beer and sparkling wine get their fizz. Now, remember Joseph Priestley from earlier in the episode? Well, there's a reason why he chose to suspend his water above a beer fermenter. Basically, if you can bottle a beverage that's been fermented before it goes flat, it's gonna have some bubbles in it. Great examples of this are kombucha, which is fermented using a synthetic mixture of yeast and bacteria called SCOBY, and tapache, which is a Mexican fermented beverage containing pineapple skins, sugar, and spice. It's usually very lightly alcoholic in the tradition of the weak beers that people used to drink in the days before purified water was feasible. And the cool thing about Tapache is that it might make a reappearance here on the podcast because Modern Barkhart co-founder Ethan Hall is currently experimenting hard with it. So maybe if we're lucky... Or if we behave ourselves, he will treat us to some tapache cocktails in the near future. Another bubbly topic that's pretty interesting is the hardware that's used to make carbonated beverages in the home or at the bar. Of course, we live in the age of the soda stream, which is a countertop carbonation device with CO2 cartridges that can pump out flavored or unflavored carbonated beverages to your exact specifications. But what I'm most intrigued by is the classic soda siphon, or seltzer bottle. You may have come across this device in old slapstick comedy or clown routines. It kind of looks like if a fire extinguisher had a baby with a beautiful piece of crystal drinkware. 
It's filled at a facility with commercial quality carbonation rigs and then delivered like milk used to be to the physical location where it would be used, be it a bar, restaurant, or private residence. Not only are soda siphons totally cool to look at and really fun to use, but they are unfortunately a dying breed, a past commodity that's now just an oddity. I'm going to put a link in the show notes page for this episode over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast to a fantastic Bon Appetit video called The Last Seltzer Man, chronicling the Brooklyn Seltzer Boys, the last company in the U.S. to still hand distribute charged reusable seltzer siphons. Trust me, it's worth a watch. It's one of the best videos I've, I've watched recently. I highly recommend it. Finally, I wanted to bring up a topic that was suggested by our audio engineer, Sammy Reed. Hey, Sammy. And that topic is nitro. You've probably come across this in cold brew coffee and beer most popularly. And basically, it's the addition of nitrogen bubbles, which is very similar to the carbonation process, but with a few key differences. One is that nitrogen doesn't like to dissolve like CO2 does. It just kind of hangs out next to the liquid molecules instead of becoming one with them. Nitrogen bubbles are also smaller and smoother than CO2 bubbles, and those two facts kind of team up to create the rich, creamy mouthfeel of a nitro beverage. Some folks say that this has a noticeable impact of lower perceived bitterness in drinks, which is probably true, but for me, man, it's all about that mouthfeel. To date, there aren't a ton of bars out there serving nitro cocktails, but I think it's a trend that we can probably see following on the heels of the beer and cold brew coffee success stories. So be sure to keep an eye out for nitro cocktails popping up at a bar near you. That about does it for this Barkhart Foundations episode. Remember, you can always use the filter on the podcast landing page to seek out these mini crash courses if you enjoy the sheer nutritional density of them or if you just want to listen to me talk to myself while you fall asleep. Until next time, I'm Modern Barkhart CEO Eric Koslick, reminding you that it's not socially acceptable to respond to a request for a carbonated beverage by saying, Seltzer, I hardly know her. Sorry to burst your bubble. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And 
keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed and a little bit of carbonated magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2019.